Now, one of my colleagues, someone I think is probably known to many of you, one of my colleagues is a man called David Robertson. Have you heard of David Robertson? David Robertson is a minister in Dundee, but he's perhaps better known to some of us as something of an outspoken apologist. That in this increasingly godless age, what David Robertson has done is take it upon himself to kind of defend and affirm biblical truth. And he's doing this in a number of ways. He does this through radio shows. He will be heard and seen on the BBC. He will do it in magazine articles, affirming, defending biblical truth in our godless age. What do we think of that? I wonder. We like it, right? It's a marvelous thing. When we see a man who is willing to take a public stand for the gospel, a public stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, a great thing, but it comes with an inherent challenge. Because get this, one of David Robertson's main complaints, and he has a few, but one of David Robertson's main complaints is the dearth of ordinary believers who are willing to do the same thing. His complaint in his blog and his website is the reluctance that there is from us, the ordinary Christian, eh, to use, let's say, social media, to use simple conversations to push back and oppose what are the godless values of our society. Now, here's my question. This thing, is he right? Or more precisely, what should our tactics be? In this age as Christians, in our culture, our society, that is running away, isn't it, from God and his word, how should we respond as his people? Is it okay for us to remain in the shadows? Is it okay for us at work, university, in our families, in our homes, to keep a lid on our faith? Or should we be seeking to do something else? Should we be seeking to, to engage with this society to stand up as the people of God. Well, you see that question? What what should our tactics be? What should our approach be? That is where Jesus now goes in the Sermon on the Mount. That from, do you remember a couple of weeks ago, that from the Beatitude and what, what we should be as Christians, where Jesus goes next is the influence that you and I should seek to exert as Christians on society, the tactics, the approach that we should have. That's the subject that Jesus is dealing with here. And uh, since, I'm sure you noticed this, did you? You noticed that Jesus has two very clear affirmations in these verses. You noticed that there was two? Well, since there are two affirmations, guess what we're going to do? We're going to have two main headings to our sermon this morning. So, have you got your Bible ready? Is it there? Is it Matthew 5, verse 13? We got there? As a congregation, then the first heading is this, first of two, we see in these verses the restraining role of the Christian. Everyone got it? The restraining role that you and I are to have as Christians. And it's kind of obvious what we're going to do for this point. We're going to look at the first affirmation. So everyone got it in verse 13? Let's have a look. Boys and girls, see if you get it. How does it begin? You are the salt of the earth. I think we've probably all heard that before, have we? Even if we're new to the church, we've heard that expression before. You are the salt of the earth. So the question really is, well, what does that mean? 
that Jesus says to his people, you are the salt of the earth. First thing I'm going to do is just chuck it back at you, throw it back at you. Uh, what do you think of when uh, I stand up here and talk about salt? What do you think about? Um, I'll tell you what I think about. I've told you this before. Whenever I think about salt, I think about South Americans. I do. Um, when we moved, first of all, to London um, from Scotland, we had a Brazilian girl staying with us in the manse for about three or four months. Some of you will remember, uh, Carolini. And I have n- I've never seen anything uh, like this from the Brazilian girl. And remember, I'm a Scotsman. We are not renowned for our, 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 our <laughs> healthy eating options that, that Scotsmen take at all. I've uh, never seen anything like it. No matter where you were, if you were out for food with Carolini or you're eating at home, first thing she does before she touches her food, first she went to the salt, straight to the salt, and on the salt goes. Like Carolini, uh, she had food with her salt. I, she genuinely did rather than the other way around. Now, I think if we were to ask our Brazilian friends in the room just now why they might follow suit, I think we probably, they would tell us, and I think we probably know in our heart of hearts uh, why that might happen, although we don't like to admit it, it's probably because British food is a bit dull. It is, isn't it? British food might look kind of appealing sometimes, it might look nice, but you bite into it and it's a bit insipid. It's a bit all and uninspiring. Now, if we bear that in mind, do we now not Work out what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to us. Is part of the message not this? That the role, or at least part of the role of the believer in society is to bring flavor as the people of God. I mean, is that not part of it? That you and I are, in the way that we live, in the joy that we are supposed to demonstrate in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, are we not supposed to show people out there that though it might look great and it might look appealing, life without the gospel and life without the Lord Jesus Christ quite simply is uninspiring, it is dull, it is insipid. Part of what Christ is saying as he says to you, you are to be salt, part of it surely is that we are to season and we are to bring flavor But as important as I think that is, I do not think that that is the heart of what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here with salt. See, what have we just dealt with? We have dealt with what I think about salt or what you might think about salt. But if we're going to understand Matthew chapter 5, what do we actually need to deal with? What does salt mean to Jesus? What does salt mean to the people that he's speaking to? So I want you to listen to this, please. It is really important. In the first century world, the primary function of salt was not to season or bring flavor. The primary role, the function of salt was to do what? It was to preserve food from decay. I think we all can work that out, can't we? Like imagine you and I were walking along the high street in Nazareth on a Saturday in the first century. We are not going to walk past a big window display of smeg fridge freezers are we it's not going to happen there was no refrigeration at all so if you were transporting fish in nazareth or or that you're transporting meat what did you do you you had to pack that with salt because if you didn't do that what happens the meat by itself just left to its own devices what happens to the fish and the meat it it perishes doesn't it? it and it rots now do you know what i think we could do here 
Like, I think we could very much focus on what Christ is therefore saying about this society in which we live. Because if there is a need for salt, and as we read in Romans chapter 1, what is true of our society if left to its own devices? It perishes. It rots. Isn't that something that we see just now in the United Kingdom? Something we see in London in the 21st century, that without salt, left to its own devices, what happens to society? It perishes, it goes stale, it goes awful, it rots. We could think about that, but we have to hear, think about and hear what the Lord Christ is saying to us. So I ask you, Christian, from this morning, do you hear in that the message from the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you? That part of our role as a church, part of your role as a Christian, is to seek to arrest societal decline. Isn't that it? The part of our function, we are supposed to be salt. What do we do? We are supposed to pry and preserve that that is good and godly in this society. But more than that, what are we supposed to do? We are to try and battle against this rot. We are supposed to be salt. Now, as soon as I say that, I can hear your brain. I can. Like, if we're thinking about this practically, I can hear the mechanisms in all of our brains. Can't you hear it? Like, we're thinking, what? We're supposed to battle against spiritual decay in London? In London? How do we do that? What does that involve as Christians? Well, do you know, shouldn't we think about David Robertson? Because don't you think that he's on to something? Don't you think that he's right? I mean, think about our lives for a moment. We live, you and I, in an, in an unprecedented age, don't we? Today, through the internet, we can do what our forefathers could never do. You can have, and I can have, a public voice, right? Well, I'm saying to you, should we not use that more often? Like on social media, on Twitter. You're on Twitter, you're on Facebook. You're on social media at all. Should we not seek now and again, more commonly, more often, to project on social media a countercultural Christian voice? Shouldn't we do that? And shouldn't we take it also from the virtual into the real and actual? We're supposed to be salt. Friends, should you and I not speak up more often to our friends and to our family and speak up about issues like abortion? Speak up more often issues about biblical sexuality. Speak up more often about gender identity. Why? Because Christ here is saying, you're salt. You're salt. Restrain decay. Restrain the rot. Now, I think that this, this morning, is so crucial. I just want to make two very, very brief and further points from the text about this. The first is this. That what we're dealing with here is essential in the eyes of your God. And maybe as you sit here this morning in the church, you maybe think that this is not essential. Do you? I'd love to know. Do you think, oh, this idea that we're supposed to arrest and restrain the decay of our society and preserve that which is good, that's a bit of a sidebar. That's not an important thing. Us being salt is not that critical if so if you're thinking like that look at verse 13 with me please point your children to it too verse 13 what does god say about salt if we're not if we're not acting 
in a preserving and seasoning way. If salt has lost its taste, verse 13, how shall that saltiness be restored? Now listen to what God goes on to say. The Lord Christ says, it is therefore no longer good for anything except, like if salt is not providing this function, no good except being thrown out, trampled on. Now think about that with me for a second. I mean, you and I know, I suppose, that salt was very impure, wasn't it, in the first century world? You can understand that. Can you, first century world, salt was really, like there's lots of dirt and sand and it would just become contaminated. Wouldn't salt become contaminated? And do you hear what Jesus is therefore saying to you and to me? If we become indistinguishable from our society, if you, Christian friend, become so contaminated by our society that we are not trying to act as salt and trying to preserve that which is good, what is God saying? We are not fit for purpose as salt. We are useless as believers. This is essential in the eyes of God. And then the second thing I'll say before we move on is this. Whether you like it or not, this, Christian friend, is a message for you. I wonder how you're thinking right now. Maybe you're thinking, I'm tired and I'm not listening. Maybe you're thinking, well, this idea that we're to work and restrain society and work and preserve good... That's maybe for the other people in this room. It's maybe for the minister to do this, or the elders, or people sitting beside you. Listen to me. What's our phrase here? You are the salt of the earth. In the original language, Jesus does not just say, you are the salt of the earth. The first word in the Greek is emphatic. It's emphasized. What is Jesus therefore saying? He is saying to you, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. And you think about who he's speaking to and it'll blow your mind. Where is he? He's on the top of a mountain. Who's he speaking to? A small band of Palestinian peasants. Like a little group of fishermen, farmers. And what's he saying to them? He's saying, you are the salt of the earth. Do you see it? No matter how insignificant we think we are, no matter how ineffective we will, we think we can be, this is a message for all of the people, all of the followers of Christ. No matter how feeble you may view yourself, no matter how weak you and I are called to preserve that which is godly, we're called to restrain society, what are we? You and I are to be the salt of the earth. Okay. So the salt of the earth, the restraining role of the Christian. Will we move on? Let's move on. Let's consider the second heading and the two headings. The restraining role of the Christian. Secondly, the pro, pro, easy for me to say. The proclaiming role of the Christian. Restraining role of the Christian. Then secondly, the proclaiming role of the Christian. And you can follow this in the text, can you? We're working through the text. And we hit now. The second affirmation, I want all of us to read it together. Look at verse 14. And the boys and girls, make sure you get verse 14. Help with your worksheet. He said, we're the salt of the earth. Jesus now says, you are the light of the world. The light of the world. 
you'll allow me to bring a few things forward for your consideration about the light that we are called to be. The first thing is to think about the need for the light. The need for the light. Do you not agree with me that it is an amazing thing to consider how positively our society views itself today? Despite the way things are, isn't it incredible? It's an amazing thing to see how positively society views itself. The West, and in particular the United Kingdom, it would seem, has an overblown sense of its own importance and its own glory, and we are incredibly positive about our society. Just think about the terms that society uses about itself. (laughs) The Enlightenment. That tells us that our society views itself as being enlightened. It's an amazing thing. Or let's take another really common uh, expression. You'll hear it in the media all the time that we are a progressive society. Again, isn't that amazing? What does our society think about itself? Our society thinks we are brilliant. We are we're progressive. We are advancing at pace. We are awesome. We are enlightened. And the question, of course, we throw back is, is that accurate? Is that real? What is the divine verdict, the in, divine decree in view? Well, you think about the logic of Matthew 5 for a moment. If the Lord God is saying to us that we need to be light, then what is God saying of our society? It is saying that here in London today, the society spiritually is in the darkness. It's in the darkness. And I want you not just to think about that up there, but think about it for your life and think about it for the people you know. Doesn't it move you? Doesn't it propel you into the world as a Christian? Think about it. The people you love, the people you live with. God saying the darkness. Saying of, of these people spiritually outside of Christ, they are spiritually blind. It's a desperate plight, a desperate diamond God has here. Fumbling around in the darkness. But then we've got to consider also the nature of the light. Because I think there is a, a, a vital question that you need to ask and I need to ask as a Christian. I've thought a lot about how to phrase it, but I'll, I'll put it like this. Isn't this the question we ask? Isn't it? That if before the foundation of the world, Christian friend, if before the creation of the world, God has identified you to be a light. If that is the calling that God has given you as a Christian, you're to be a light in this earth, then what's the question we ask? And when we cry out from an eternal perspective, we cry out, well then, Lord, how do we do that? I mean, if it's this important and in a dark world, what does that involve? Don't we ask that, friend? Well, praise God, because he tells you. Look at verse 16 with me. Look at verse 16. Think about the language. What is it that people are to see? What is illuminated in us? Do you see? He speaks about good works, doesn't he? Good works. Speaking about light and speaking about good works. Now, let's, let's be, as a congregation, really cautious and careful at this point. Because do you see the mistake that we could make at this point if it's about good works? What could we think? 
that being a light in the world only involves kind of mercy mystery. Couldn't we think like that if it's about good works? Oh, how do, you know, I, I'm supposed to be a light. How do, uh, how do I... How do I, how do I illuminate? What do I do? Well, I work with the church and what do I do? I, I, I help a soup kitchen. And that'll be me fulfilling my role as a light in the world. You thinking like that? If so, I want you to listen to this. This is what John Stott, have you heard of him? This is what John Stott says here. Very important. He says very often, most often in scripture, light is a metaphor for truth spoken truth. Do you see how that helps us? Do you see how that sheds light on what we're dealing with here? If we are to fulfill this role that God has given from before the creation, if we are to be a light, what are we to do? We are to serve and we are to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, do you want to fulfill this role that Christ is is pleading with you to fulfill, to be a light of the world? What do we do? What is incorporated in these good works? We toil in the church. We toil out there and we tell people. We tell people the good news of Christ Jesus. Yes, it involves mercy ministry. Yes, it involves service here and out there. But we are to work and we are to witness to the glory of Golgotha, the glory of the cross. That's what it means to be a light in the world. So, the need for the light, the nature, what does it mean? But then, then we've got to deal with a negative about the light. I wonder how closely you read this. You probably know this section of scripture quite well, do you? How closely did you read what Jesus does here? Perhaps you notice that he doesn't just give us an affirmation. He doesn't just say to you, Christian friend, you're the light of the world. Do you notice what he does? Have a look in verse 14 onwards. Just skim it. You'll see it. You'll, you'll fresh your memory. What does he do? He mentions a couple of metaphors, doesn't he? Think about the metaphor. So it's a, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden, isn't it? The light on the hill that can't be hidden. What's the next one? A lamp and a stand that shouldn't be hidden. So they're clearly it's two metaphors about what? It's about the visibility of the light, isn't it? About the observability, is that a word? The visibility, the observability of the light. I think of all the things that are said today, this morning, this is the most important. Because I think what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing in those metaphors is taking you by the hand to the beginning of the sermon and to the very topic and the theme of today. Can you remember what that was? What's the question we were asking? What tactics should we use in London as Christians? I wonder, does that trouble you? Like when, when, when you think about our society and stuff about gender no longer being binary and, and so forth, and, and you think about, you know, views of sexuality, and does it trouble you as a Christian? And do you wonder, well, how I respond as a believer? What should I be, be, be doing? Here, the Lord Jesus Christ, in these metaphors, he answers, and it all boils down to one phrase that he says, listen to what Jesus says to you. We say it and we're troubled, we don't respond, and the Lord Jesus says to us, let your light shine. How should a Christian live in London in the 21st century? And Jesus says to you and to me, let your light shine, be visible. 
And as uncomfortable as it is for us, we're seeing just now that there is no such thing from a biblical point of view as a private faith, my friend. Like there is no such thing as, as you and I like living in the shadows and keeping a lid on our faith and not telling people that we're Christians. That doesn't square with biblical truth. Jesus saying, let your light shine, people. That what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling for from you and from me is for us in London to stand up, but also to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ. That the only list to me, the only biblical tactic for life in the modern age as a Christian is this. We are to engage. And we are to engage openly, proudly, confidently as children of the living God. What does Christ say? Let your light in London shine. And we freak out. So we need to think about the nucleus of this light. Because maybe right now you're thinking, no way. Is that right, Christian friend? And you're thinking just now, there's no way I can do this. Like stand up in the workplace. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, the people I work with don't even know I am a Christian. People I'm living with, my flatmates and the people, you know, at home and some of my family members, and they don't even know I'm a believer. And you're saying what? Let your light shine? I can't do that. Well, if you're thinking like that, one question for you. Have you ever heard this expression before that we're dealing with? Light of the world? Has anyone else ever said that? light of the world isn't it true that later on in his own ministry the Lord Jesus Christ would stand up and say what I am the light of the world the Lord Jesus Christ will say this very thing he says of you he will say of himself and does that not help us do we not now understand what our role is in the society what are we to do we are to reflect his light Now listen to me, just as, you've been there before, I know you have, just as the light of the moon can sometimes seem blinding, can't it? Have you done that? It's not so much in London, but let's say you've been driving along the road, have you? Dark night, and the moon sometimes can seem dazzling, can't it? And yet, what is true of the moon? It possesses no power source of itself. What's the moon doing? It seems dazzling. What is it doing? It is merely reflecting the light of the sun. What is this truth here? What are we to do? Well, there's no power source here. What, what? We are to reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't you see how encouraging that is? Don't you? We're saying, well, we can't do it. God's saying, I'm going to do it for you. You stand up as a Christian. You stand up in London. You stand out for Christ. God is good. God's the power source. He will use you to reflect the glory, the light of his own son. Christ is the light of the world. And then we're going to end. And we're going to end with this. We've seen the need for the light, the nature of the light, a negative about the light, the nucleus of light. We see Lastly, the new life in the light. Is it true, I think it is, that nearly every word that's been spoken this morning is for you if you are a believer and if you are born again. Christ has given you a negative and a positive. Negatively, we are to seek to restrain society. Positively, what are we to do? We are to proclaim the Lord Christ. But I want to end 
by speaking to the people in here who have not professed faith, the people in here, you know who you are. The people in here who are not born again, not trusting in the Lord Christ Jesus. I just want to say this in a word. Sometimes people wonder why we're enthusiastic at church. Maybe people wonder why uh, Christians see... We're a joyous group of people. We might not look like it all the time, but we are. And maybe if you're not a Christian, you're looking at us and wondering, what is it about these people? Why is there such joy? Do you know, yes, it's because our God is great. He is. And we are rejoicing because we are worshipping our Creator. Do you know why we're full of joy? It's because of what God has done for us in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe if you're new to the church, you haven't heard about that an awful lot. Let me tell you what done. At the cross, in the darkness that engulfed Calvary, the light was extinguished for three hours at Calvary. What the Lord Christ, the Son of God, has done for me and for the people of God here is he has borne the blackness of our sin. That's why we are full of joy and enthusiasm today. The Son of God has borne the blackness of sin, of guilt, of shame. That what he's done for his people is rip off the mask of blindness. He has allowed us to see God with the eyes of faith. We now behold our creator in relationship. We are friends reconciled with God. That's why we're full of joy. And I ask you, don't you want that? Don't you want that to know God through Christ? Don't you want the God, this great creator God who has shed light into the darkness of creation? Don't you want him right now to shed light into the darkness of your life and your soul, your heart? Well, it happens like this. All you need to do is repent of your sin. To turn away from your sin and to turn to Christ in faith, to trust in what Christ has done. And do you know if you do that right now, what happens in here? God takes you by the hand and he leads you into the light. He leads you into the soul-nourishing, eternal, life-giving light of the gospel. Christian friends, we have got work to do. Don't we? We need to go out into London and we've got two things that we need to be. What must we be? We must be salt of the earth and we must be light of the world. And all, why? What does Jesus say? All for the glory of our Father who art in heaven. Friends, let's pray.